Eight films have been nominated, but only one will take home the prize. You're listening to the Quest for the Bestest 2021 Oscar nominees edition from Backlog Banter. Your hosts are Timo Nelson, Tucker Hazel, Tanner Dykstra, and Abram Buner. You can find more of our content on YouTube and Twitter at Backlog Banter. Hey everybody, welcome back to Quest for the Bestest. I am not Timo Nelson, but I'm the closest in appearance to him, so today I'll be your host. My name is Abram Buner. I'm joined, as usual, by Tanner Dykstra and Tucker Hazel. And we are here today for the next episode of Quest for the Bestest. And we're going to be talking about the best years of our lives. But before we do that, a little housekeeping, do my best oh. Timo impression here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, last week we talked about Nomadland, which just won its Oscar, its Best Picture slot. And we put it at number nine, right above... Um, Kramer v. Kramer, and right below Spotlight. So we liked it quite a bit. And that is out of 27, currently. Out of 27. And of course, we're going to get into the discussion in a second, but we're on podcast feeds. Give us a little bit of a rating. Give us a like. We're also on YouTube at Backlog Banter. On Twitter, Backlog Banter. You can find us everywhere. Links usually in the description. I don't do these videos, we're so who knows if We're everywhere. You can't we're escape everywhere. us. Exactly. Unfortunately, you can't. I'm sorry. We're, we're <laughs> everywhere, especially back in the saddle of Quest. Boys, we are back, and it feels good to be back. It kind of does, in, not going to lie. Back in the 1940s with a three-hour drama about war. And boy, howdy, uh, what do you guys think of it? Well, before we get into it Ooh, completely, let's, let's say here, we, we watched The Best Years of Our Lives. It's a romance war film about three different veterans coming back home after World War II. It is directed by William Wyler, and it stars Myrna Loy, Frederick March, Dana Andrews, and Harold, what's his last name here? Russell, uh, who, looks Harold Russell un- yeah. who looks far too similar to Tom Hardy, which we'll get into. We'll get into all of it. Mm. But that's the film we watched. What are we all thinking? I, I liked it. Um, I, I, like I said, it's good, it's good to be back in the saddle of a, of a three-hour you know, drama from the 1940s, directed by uh, one of... So somebody that Tucker sings the praises of near constantly. I can't shut him up about one William Wyler. Well, um, I, I, I gotta say, I'm not doing that for no reason. This man won Best Picture three times, so it's not gonna be like this is the end of our conversation about William Wyler. I'm not just pulling that out of my ass. He's actually famous and okay, important. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, but I, I can I, I can definitely see how in like a, a post-war or almost post-war, I'm not sure about history. We talk about movies here. Uh in a post-war America, how this can definitely win Best Picture. I think yeah. that's what's most interesting about this film, probably, is it came out in 1946. Mm-hmm. So this is not like a retrospective World War II film. This was right when the war had ended. So I think that's very interesting. The movie itself, I'd say it's probably less interesting. Mm-hmm. I watched it. I watched the first 40 minutes or so and then Snapchatted you guys and, went, and I said, there's no way there's two and a half more hours of this movie. <laughs> and and there are... There was, and I think, yeah. I, I think it. I think it justifies its runtime. I think it's an engaging movie to watch. But then I, I went to bed and woke up the next morning and had no recollection that I had seen the film the night before. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. We ended up watching it in a little bit, a little bit chunked up because Tanner got a phone call. We made some dinner. There was a little bit of things in there, and we, we kept making this joke. Yeah. Yeah, a couple smaller intermissions, but we kept making the joke. We still have a feature-length film left in this film. Because no matter where you slice it, as long as you're slightly over 60 minutes from the end, you have a feature-length film left. And and it does... 
and you do end up feeling that if you keep checking the runtime. But I do think, all things considered, like like you were saying, I think this film justifies its runtime with the amount of characters that it tries to flesh out, the the world that it builds around these characters, the emotional arcs that each of them go through, and the fact that it is so packed with content. I think I personally didn't really feel like. It was an unwarranted three hours. It wasn't really padded. There wasn't a lot of scenes I felt like, okay, this can be cut and you'll still feel the power of the characters. I think this is a, there's a reason this is so long and I, and I think it works well because of that. So I agree and disagree. I agree in the sense that with the material presented here, it makes, it makes a good case for its runtime. Yeah. At the same time, I think there's a much better and much shorter version of the best years of our lives that could sure. have been made. And my problem and positive with the film really hinges around Homer, who I think is the most interesting and least served character in the film. One thousand percent. I agree. And I feel like you could either have told the story about Homer in half of the time and double the emotional impact or gotten rid of him entirely and still cut an hour out of the movie. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the film just feels at odds with itself in a lot of instances. Yeah. They do really kind of cram that Homer stuff right at the end. Because, you know, uh, what are the other two characters' names? Uh, Al and Fred. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Al and Fred do get do get a good back and forth throughout most of this movie. And then they just kind of cram that Homer stuff with his girlfriend or his wife. I, I always call his, yeah. him No, her, they get married at the end. Yeah, they so, get married. Inevitable wife. Yes. Okay. Uh, his wife and father, they kind of cram that in, like, the beginning of the third act-ish kind of place. Uh, it's just not very, it's not paced out as well as Fred and Al's stories are. So I'm, I, I think there's two different reasons why the film is paced out like this. A, Dan Andrews and Frederick March are way bigger stars of the yeah. time. Uh, Frederick March's relation with Myrna Loy, I think worked really well. And those were sort of the reasons that people were going to see this film. It's like, okay, it's a Frederick March movie. It's a Dan Andrews movie. It's a Myrna Loy movie. I want to see those people. I want to see their, their acting chops be, be stretched out over this long period of time. And that was the draw. I think for us looking back on it, you know, not, I, Tanner and I are familiar with Frederick March. He's uh, in Inherit the Wind. Mm -hmm. He's great in that movie, by the way. Yes. And it was fun to see him a lot younger, but since we're not familiar with those actors, seeing a more interesting character from someone we're not familiar with, being Harold Russell as a, a, a Homer, my bad, um, is is really engaging to us. We're like, okay, I wish this had been fleshed out a little more. Now, he actually is not an actor at all. He was a World War II vet. He had never been in a movie before. Well, maybe he'd been in, I think, a couple documentary things or something. But he wasn't an actor. He was chosen because uh, that his disability, he didn't have hands, and, and he was good at using the uh, the mechanical hands that they had, prosthetics, yeah, that they had given him. So they wanted him for that emotional impact. And I think that's also part of the reason he was not really in it as much uh, is because he probably didn't have the long-term acting chops to really be in a film for an extended period of time. And also, mm. he won Best Supporting Actor for this. Mm. Uh which is, the I think, one of two times a not-professional actor has won an acting award, which is really interesting, and I thought I think he was great in this movie, so definitely deserved. But um, the film also won uh, Best Actor for Frederick March, uh, Best Director for William Wyler, Best Adapted Screenplay, uh, Film Editing, and Original Score, and was nominated for Sound Mixing. So this got a whole slew across the board, lots of awards, and I think the ones that have won, I think, are, are pretty warranted, all things considered. Yeah, that's my that's just my spiel about about Harold. I think there's there are okay. definitely reasons it's it's paced out that way. It's not just random. It's not really the script them unbalancing. They I think mm -hmm. they worked with what they had. Sure, 
I mean, I, he he was my favorite part, but I think you have a point there of like he he was good in the parts that he was in, and that may be that may be uh to the to the work of the director and the editor to like whittle down to his best stuff to really have that emotional connection with this guy who's not a professional actor. Yeah. I think um, what's what's really interesting about the narratives for the other characters is not really themselves or honestly even their interpersonal relationship. I think it's most interesting thematically the idea of them coming home from war and the the complex receptions they they are met by. Oh yeah. Because I mean, in from from a historical lens, you talk a lot about World War II vets coming back and just being doted over and them being heroes and championed by their communities and their girls are all there and they're all having sex and there's babies everywhere and they're oh God. chanting and everything. Boom, the boomers are born. Right. And then you contrast that against a war like Vietnam or later wars where there's sort of a disenfranchisement with, with the servicemen. And, and that's where you expect to see these stories of them coming home and no one really caring. So it's interesting to see these people come back and not be greeted completely with open arms being almost kind of forced into various elements mm-hmm. of society begrudgingly about this, this comments about people uh, losing their jobs to GIs and the GI Bill and all of this. So it paints a really nuanced picture of America's involvement in World War II and the reception to it. I don't know how accurate it is, but considering the film came out in, in 46, I think it's just a, it's such a, a snapshot of, of time that we don't usually hear about. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite uh, early on parts of the film is that uh, when they're taking the taxi back into uh, Boone City, and, the, yeah. and it's and it's like that montage of like post World War II America. Gee whiz, folks are back here. It's almost the fifties, and we're gonna be doing great forever. Um, everything's perfect, guys. Everything's Don't worry. Perfect. But yeah, <laughs> I was gonna go wrong. I also really liked the uh, the the inclusion of things that I didn't realize. Like people were anti GI Bill, which is something that I had no idea was a thing. And I think that is a benefit of telling this story directly post-World War II. Yeah. And I think you, you brought up something interesting, Abram, is, is the variety of perspectives that it has. And, and while it might seem we don't know how accurate it is, I'd, I'd say in all likelihood, it's probably super accurate. I mean, the yeah. things, the different perspectives that people were giving out, whether this be side characters, whether it be wives or family members or, or what have you, they're all... Real, reasonably reasonable perspectives to have. They're not completely outlandish. They're integrated naturally into the story. They fit the characters' personalities. So I think that, honestly, there certainly were people that felt each of these ways. And I think that's the strongest part of this movie is the way that it gives you different perspectives from different characters and relationships on what it's like to have someone coming back home. And, and as, Tanner, you were talking about the taxi scene, that's also one of my favorites, not necessarily because of the montage, but because you get to see these guys who are nervous to come home because they have been gone for so long. They don't know how to possibly reintegrate into society. They don't know how their family members are going to react. And then on top of that, you have these three Characters that live in the same town, but they live very disparate lives. One is richer, one is poorer, one uh, they have different relationships and jobs and, and histories. And I think the fact that each of the three stories is so, in my eyes, so interesting on their own. They could have been their own movies, but I think the reason this movie works so well in one best picture, in my eyes, is because not only are they strong enough to have their movies, but they support one another. It's the interaction of those stories that I think is so fascinating that... They're, they're pretty separate, all things considered, for, for most of the runtime, but when they do come together, they bolster each other, and they, they their storylines interweave in interesting ways, and, and I think that's why I found the movie so fascinating, and why, honestly, it's it's really up there for me in, in one of my personal favorites. 
I think that the, those sequences of of reintroduction to Boone City and everything is where the runtime is used the best. In these in these quieter, longer sequences where we can really drink in the atmosphere, we can see Butch's new neon sign and we can have dialogue <laughs> about it. The, the movie is able to take its time and walk through these things, walk through the conversation between Al and his son about Hiroshima and about all of these things. There's a lot of nuance in, in what happens here that would have had to be cut out of a much shorter film. Yeah. At the same time, though, I think that the movie works a lot better as a period piece with this sort of social commentary than a, than a romance narrative. And, sure. and, I, and I think where the movie started to lose me a little bit is when you're talking about Fred and Peggy and you're having this relationship that just didn't quite work for me. I, I, I think, again, th- there's so you were talking, Tucker, about there being so many different movies in here, right? And mm-hmm. I, I think that with a little bit more trimming, we'd, we could have gotten to the best movie instead of you know what we got in the end. I think it does, though. I think the movie does uh, provide a really well-rounded uh, I, uh, pre- presentation of all the different kinds of struggles that World War II veterans received uh, and dealt with when returning home. I mean, you have um, Al who gets a job as like a loan officer, and he has to. His job is to. He's supposed to turn down other veterans for for loans for the GI Bill. He doesn't do that, but that's clearly what he's meant to do. And he and Al also has the personal issues of fitting back into his family unit and like having a connection with his wife and his daughter and his son uh, his son by the way i really like that kid i don't Worst know what it is. Of the movie Not i don't lie. really know what it is about him i just don't like him uh, i think it's his voice maybe he's like yes. oh pop were you there when you went to hiroshima like shut up you idiot um but uh, <laughs> getting back to my getting back to the main point uh you look at fred and you you see the the ptsd and the struggling to uh, find a job when you basically lost, like, the best years of your, like, career-building life. Oh, my God. I, j- I didn't I didn't even notice. And then, obviously, uh, you have um, Homer, who, who is dealing with a disability and feeling like he's th- th- and physically disconnected from other people in his life. Yeah. Um, for me, I think it's interesting to hear you talk about the uh, romantic aspect of it not necessarily hurting. And honestly, in retrospect, I think I agree. I think... The wedding at the end with Homer was just, it was just bloated. It went on way too long. <laughs> it, it felt a little forced in how they shoehorned in their relationship to coming to a, a pretty perfect picture book ending at the end. Um, and, and a Peggy and Fred's relationship, I think, is interesting. And I think it ties in his character with Al's character in interesting ways. They actually end up having a conflict over that, which I think puts them at an interesting odds because they have such a deep connection of we're both veterans together but then there's you know this thing that drives a wedge in between them i think conceptually the fact that we're getting these characters that are so based around war and their experiences but then a romance a normal everyday romance is also included and i think that humanizes fred a little bit i think it humanizes al as a, as a father and the way that not everything is about war to these characters and and it, and it flushes them out it gives them you different perspectives on what their personality is by by introducing that extra romance element and and whether or not it's done in the best way the trimmest way possible i i agree that it could have been handled a little better but i think conceptually it helps flesh out the movie a lot more and i'm i would rather have it in there than not at all sure i i, I can see that i think for me it's it's a budgeting issue because because i just feel like the allocation of time in the movie across the board feels off to me and I think ha- spending all this time with what is a kind of more uh, archetypal, you know, love triangle is, is not necessarily effective. I, I like sure. certain 
elements of Fred's relationship with his wife, I think that's very interesting. But I think when you start having it be about Peggy and him pursuing each other and then wrapping up suddenly at the wedding, which I think is flawed, like you said, for a bunch of different reasons. Yeah. It just doesn't, it feels like the film loses its own plot there when it, when it's usually on the whole good about introducing these intersecting elements as you're talking about the ways that they're, that the, the three different men's lives intersect and they see each other in the bar or they run into each other in the shop and everything, you know, it just, it doesn't have that level of organic design to it. Yeah. And I think it just it just stands out to me by contrast. And that's one of the criticisms of this movie. I was I, I like to do this. I'm a big ass nerd. I've got my my uh, complete unofficial history of the Academy Awards. I was looking at the Wikipedia entry for this movie. I was I was learning about what the perception of this was at the time. And it was very highly regarded. This is William Wyler's war masterpiece. By the way, William Wyler was in World War Two. He was a documentary maker during World War Two. His last movie before the war was Miss Miniver, Mrs. Miniver, which won Best Picture, so we'll be getting to it at some point. And he didn't make another feature movie until this. So while the so technically those were he won back to back Best Pictures with his features, which is interesting. But um but he took his own war experience and and really worked that into this characters. He uh, he and Fred are very similar in some ways. That sequence at the end where Fred is uh, visiting the airplane um, junkyard and mm-hmm. sits in the co- in the cockpit and all that, he worked that out of his own experiences and and really balanced that with with what he experienced. He also lost a lot of his hearing in the war. Uh, William Wyler did, so he had to have this thing rigged up that allowed him to hear what the actors were saying, so he could give them feedback. So there's a lot of personal war history and experience woven into these characters and i think that's why they're so well realized and, and while he, there's a variety of them because he knew people who lived in these situations and and was experiencing that himself when he returned from the war so i think that's why I mean, at least in my eyes this this feels so complete in terms of perspective and, and nuance and personality hmm. sure uh i wanted to ask you guys about something that i caught a little bit uh a uh I forget what the word is, but it's like oranges in the Godfather. I forget what the word is. For a motif. That. A motif. Thank you. Sure. I, yeah. I don't speak French, uh, <laughs> but it's the use of mirrors in this movie. I, I caught it quite a few times. They use it in the taxi scene. They use it quite a few times in various bedroom scenes. Uh, I was wondering if you guys thought there was anything to that. It's the, maybe it's the characters reflecting on themselves and their own place back at home. Uh, I wanted to see if you guys caught that or what you think of it. I'm sure there's probably something there, given sure. Tucker educating me about about the the filmmaker and his obvious talent. But I didn't really pick up on that. And to be honest, I think like the Godfather oranges motif is lame. And, and what? I, and, I, and I think I love that. I love those movies, but that it's it's lame. And I and I think that the whole mirror thing. I don't know if it would add a lot. I think it's an interesting reading, especially in a in a, in a film about reflection. You know, mm-hmm. but. I'm, I didn't pick up on it personally. Okay. Yeah, I don't think it... I mean, it, here's the thing. is It's not an obvious enough motif to really make me feel sure. like, yeah, he meant a lot by this. Oh. I think also, this is just a well-shot movie. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of interesting framing elements yeah. and, and cinematography. And I think the mirrors are just a way to experiment with, with shot composition. And, and it mixes it up. You know, you get a lot of just... This is a very dialogue-heavy movie. This is a character mm-hmm. interaction-heavy movie. And obviously, that's one of his strengths. But if you want to mix up it visually... Introduce a couple mirrors in there, you know? Throw a reflection mm-hmm. in there. Have someone facing the opposite direction, but you can still see their face because there's, a, car- there's a, a mirror, and, and it allows it to not just be, you know, a, a medium two shot of them yeah. sitting next to each other. 
Sure. I want to raise a point um, off of what Tucker just said about the script. I think the script is very strong. I think there's a lot of really yeah. great dialogue and a lot of great moments. I think one of the most affecting scenes in the entire film, again, coming back to how great Homer is, is when he slams his hands through the glass and his yeah. you know, younger sister and her friends are out there. I think the script writes itself into some really organic and, and, and impactful moments. At the same time, I think it underserves a lot of its background characters. I, sure. I think that Al's family is is not particularly fleshed out. I think probably Peggy, notwithstanding, but his his son, his wife, kind of. His son doesn't fucking matter. He shows up like three times. It he's he's a oh, C tier character. Oh, gee well, whiz! If, thanks for the sword, Pop. <laughs> <laughs> or I think another great example is Fred's parents, who mm-hmm. there seems to be some kind of tension there, but doesn't really get delved into. I think yeah. again, it's a symptom of the film tackling so much that it can't just nail down every element it introduces. Because I think that you take out some of these characters again, and I think you have more space to to get a little bit deeper into theme instead of having, okay, here are these parents that seem almost not super happy to have their son back completely, but then they read his like his citations for winning the awards, and they seem proud of him again. Like, what are we trying to pull at here? I mean, we don't really get the time to actually unpack it. I think that's. I, I think that is a, a symptom, as you said, of the fact that this movie has so many characters in it. This is a. No. This is an ensemble film. You do, for for all intents and purposes, have maybe six really well realized characters that have interactions and, and and work alongside one another and have arguments and all of that. And then there are supporting characters who are in themselves interesting, like you said, his parents or you know the son, maybe not so much. <laughs> but um, I think I would rather have touched on interesting side characters when the rest of the main cast is so well realized than have really weak side characters. I think the fact that they have those interesting elements just gives you a little bit more to grab onto. And if they weren't there at all, then be like, okay, where are his parents? Or if they were there and just like extremely one note and no interesting concept to them, it'd be like, okay, well, why don't they have a little more personality? Um, I think they just did the best with how much they have, and they still wanted to have just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I, my problem with that is I think they are really interesting, and it speaks again to one of these guys maybe should have been removed from the movie entirely to give more space. Sure. Because we talk about the son not being important, but actually the idea of your father coming back from World War II and you sitting down and telling him, like, you committed a fucking war crime, yeah. like, that's very interesting. I, I mm-hmm. think that his son plays such an interesting part at the beginning of the film that we don't see a lot of. We, of course, get the big confrontation in th- that loses Fred his job. Mm-hmm. But this sort of pushback, even from the children, is really interesting. We just don't get that explored. I think that's an important component of the film's commentary about these men returning home from war, but we just didn't get enough of it. Yeah. Sure. I did want to talk about, just quickly, the confrontation that Fred has when he's, like, when, when he's being a soda jerk or whatever. And he, he's being a soda jerk, and the other guy's being a, a real, real-life jerk. Because... Good lord, does Fred just lay that guy out? He kills that man with a single punch, I'm pretty sure. He sends him flying back into a glass case, and he just... He's, de- he's dead, I think. Yeah, in the fucking like Nordstrom's or whatever he works at, needs yeah. to get better glass cases, because those are that's a weak-ass glass case. Yeah. It was a Yakuza fight scene. Everything exactly. was meant to explode into pieces. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with one punch. With one punch, though. Exactly. But I, I do think that sequence, I mean, we're you know cheesing on it a little bit. I think it's a really good moment in the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, it gives uh, Fred a little bit to work with in terms of him defending his newfound friend. It gives... Uh, What's his name? Harold? No, Harold's the actor. Homer. Uh, Homer, sorry. Um, it, gets ho- it gives Homer this really interesting moment with, with a, a 
pretty surprisingly interesting side character who had some things to say that interest introduced more conflicts into the film and mm-hmm. and I I really enjoyed that sequence. I, I think that it's one of this movie's strongest aspects is to have those really memorable sequences with a a plot conflict introduced that gives the character something to think about and be like, okay, well, why why is this happening? Why does someone think this way? And, and it, the film is a series of those moments, those, those mm-hmm. smaller conflicts within an overarching narrative that that allowed you to get so many different perspectives on it. Yeah. Uh, I, I think uh, just, to, just to chime in on you guys' sort of back and forth about the side characters, I, I think um, there is a few that are also underserved that I want to I wanna note, um, particularly um, Al's wife and also his boss. I feel like are also underserved in his overall narrative because that because again they are sort of the primary characters in his struggle, which would be uh, his career and his personal life. And I think had this film been more focused or had it given more time to all of these all all of its main characters, they should have gotten more they should have gotten more um screen time and and motivations and things like that. Sure, yeah, I yeah. totally agree. Are there any other thoughts we want before you send me your numbers on your mobile phone as oh I have to do a little chemo math here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. One, one thing I want to point out is a sequence I love towards the beginning of the film when it's the three guys riding in the nose of the plane and it's low and they're flying. I think you get some really nice dialogue there about Homer's time in the Navy. Mm-hmm. But also just a really interestingly constructed sequence being behind the guys looking through the cockpit at, at the ground below it. Tucker, you said it's a very... Uh, interestingly shot film and I think that's definitely something to to hammer home it's it I I typically find a lot of these films we watch from the era to feel kind of flat Mm -hmm. uh, visually but this definitely was not one of them I agree yeah, and I think that's just due to the experience of the filmmaker. He, as I said, won Best Picture three times, so he definitely has a little bit of skill behind him Mm -hmm. Um, but (laughs) he, he he knows how to shoot these you know, just straight up dialogue scenes in an interesting way there where they're there's one shot in particular, I think I called this out when Tanner and I were watching it, where uh, it's when uh, Al first returns home and all his family is sitting in the living room. And you have him talking to his daughter with the with her uh, his wife's face right between their heads. And it's all framed so you can see everyone's reactions to the shot. And I'm like, oh, fr-. like they set that up so all the characters were visible and, and it, it, it yeah. worked so well. But there's also the, there's also the the weird thing of his, just his wife in the back. She's kind of like smiling and nodding along in the scene. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it's, fr- it's framed, framed very well. Yeah. Yeah. Tucker, I need a number. Ooh. Well, can I just tell it to you? Or, and know. we'll be back after this break. And we're back and we have a number and it's, and it's an even number this time, which is nice. Whoa. Our number oh, is thank 12. God. 12? Okay. okay. All right. Number 12 out of 28. The breakdown, for those curious, is 8 from Tucker, mm-hmm. 10 from Tanner, and 18 from me. Oh, wow. Holy God. Dragon, yes. Dragging us all down, Abram, like you always do. Unfortunately, yes. It's, <laughs> it's a habit of mine, but how do we feel about 12? Um, uh, so that'd be just above All About Eve and just below Chicago. Correct. Um, uh, obviously, I feel it's a little low because while I wasn't in love with the entire film, I think it I think it serves an interesting purpose in the the history of the Oscars and the Best Picture winners as like this snapshot directly post World War World War Two. Uh, I think we talked about the brilliant direction from William Wyler. I think we've talked about the uh, the great writing and how the, how all three characters sum up the the struggle of World War Two veterans returning home. Um, so I think the things that it does on a macro level are are quite interesting and should rank a little bit higher, 
But uh, in all honesty, I'm fine with place number 12. I think 12 obviously dragged down a little bit, well, a little bit by by Abrams. You know, you'll be able to defend your point in yeah. a second. Mm -hmm. But uh, but honestly, I chose to put this higher because I think that, that Tanner is right. This is a really interesting snapshot. But also, I think when we're watching these movies and we talk about the fact we want something that's, that feels a little bit different and, you know, there's Oscar bait films and the ones that, okay, yeah, the... Obviously, there's one best picture because the Academy likes to choose a certain kind of films. And, and honestly, this fits into that Oscar bait category really solidly. But I think it's the perfect example of that. I think it's the gold standard of what an Oscar bait movie is. Mm. It's a drama. It's long. It's reflective of the time period. It, it's got this social commentary. But it also handles all its characters really well. It doesn't really... In some, you know, in some instances, it feels a little bit bloated. But I think it, it warrants its runtime. It paints a really interesting picture of the time period in a way that we can't really get looking back on it. You know, it has the, the lens of someone who experienced this going into it, and I think that makes it super re well realized. And I'm I'm a proponent of ensemble films in Best Pictures, especially when they're so much longer, because it gets you the chance to be introduced to so many characters and, and get, and again, be introduced to these actors who I think did amazing performances all around. Um, and I think it just it just works for me in terms of what I want a Best Picture winner to be, especially if it's a Oscar Beatty film. I think this is the gold standard for that. Sure, I think you guys make a lot of really interesting points about its uniqueness thematically, about its just objective success in other respects. Tucker was talking about as an ensemble film, but for me personally, I think this is a movie that I enjoyed, but could have enjoyed a lot more had it not dulled its own impact at a lot of different turns. I think that had the film been a little bit more focused and in a lot of different respects, we could have gotten more interesting characterization, more rich detail, more rich themes by stripping out a character, refocusing a little bit. We could have gotten the sort of commentary that the film strikes at really connected with. I think it's a really excellent survey, but it lacks the focus I, I wanted, especially because I, I was looking at Grand Hotel being a big barometer for me as to mm. which I think is more successful and sure. that, in my opinion, as a view of Depression-era America with an interesting script, again, an ensemble cast, I think that's a film that, from the period, that exemplifies focus, and at the same time contextualizing its narrative within an interesting portion of American history. Then you move up a little bit and you hit Platoon. Of course, this is a, this is a war mm -hmm. film from the domestic front against the, you know, the actual front line, but I think, again, it comes down to focus very subversive, very interesting as to what it's saying about America's uh, combat in Vietnam, right? And then you look at this, again, very interesting, and with all the different perspectives on, on World War II veterans, but again, I just don't think it quite sticks to landing for me in, in terms of setting up everything it's going to say and following through on it. Mm. That said, 12 is still lower than both of your positions, so I think it's probably a fair compromise to, yeah. to leave it at 12, so I'm fine with that, but... In my perfect world, of course, my perfect world has Shakespeare in Love at three. So, can you really trust oh, my opinion? Absolutely. Christ. Disgusting. Oh, that's so gross. Let's let's Twelve move hours. let's move off of that as quickly as possible. I say. No, but I mean honestly, I think it's that is a really fair compromise considering yeah. how much lower you put it. You know, you're 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 uh, conceding a lot more than mm -hmm. the, the two of us are. Yes. Um, and, and honestly, obviously, in my perfect world, this would be higher. But I think we're talking about movies that do do a lot of things really interestingly. And of course, we're each putting this into the collective list, which doesn't reflect any of our personal lists. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a reflection of the combination of said things. So when I yeah. look at the top ones, I look at the middle ones, I'm like, oh, I really wish that, you know, Grand Hotel and All About Eve and Chicago were a little bit higher. But 
I I watch this film and I recognize all of its merits and I think okay I'll I'll put it up there because I you know maybe it, maybe it'll cheese a little bit higher but you know there's there's a game to all of this and, and a strategy to comparing your personal opinions to what the list we have now so mm-hmm. there's definitely a balance you have to strike when choosing where to put it but the, I'm I'm happy with this placement I think it's very yeah. solid especially cool. since Argo is way too high. Hey everybody, we are back. We had some technical difficulties without <laughs> Tima. We hate to admit it, but he's very important to the show. So we yeah. don't have a wheel for you this week, but we do have a random number generator I just Googled, and Tanner's going to sing a song. Uh, it's still going to be a ritual. Don't worry, your week is not ruined. Okay. Now, here's Tanner. the thing. The, we- the wheel song is now incorrect. There's not a wheel, so you're lying to your audience. Right. I've always That's been lying to true. the audience. And they love it. They love me for it. I'm a man of the people, as I always say. But, um... <clears throat> Wheel, wheel, what's your deal? Give us a movie that makes us squeal. Is it on digital or is it on real? Wheel, wheel, what's your deal? The number is 23. Ah, okay. That's a, it's significantly underwhelming, but uh, we, we got the number anyways. Tucker, what movie do we have coming up next time on Quest now, for the Bestest? Now, this one is exciting for me because it's one I haven't seen. We're getting mm. to the point where I've seen most of the ones that, that are still left, so I... I it, I can't. I I'm excited when it's one that I haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the 1990 Best Picture winner, uh, starring and directed by Kevin Costner. Oh, I know what it Dances is. Dances with Wolves. Oh hell yeah, we're dancing this is with wolves. On Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon, Amazon Prime. So there's a lot of ways to watch this one. I'm just glad it didn't come out in the 1930s, 40s, or 50s. Yeah, we're, we're um, back in the 90s, baby. The raging 90s. All right, we're getting nice that- and. We're getting nice and radical, my guy, with a Civil War era. Uh, I think this is other, another, like, three-hour one. I thought Dancing with the Wolves was about Native Americans. Yeah, but I think it's also, like, I think Kevin Costner's wearing, like, a Civil War outfit. Yeah, he in does the look sort of like that. Uh, and it he's is three like hours the, long, yes. Yeah. He's, got yeah. like the, he's got, like, the mustache that connects into the beard, but the, it's shaved right here. Oh, that's Classic awful. Classic look, yeah. Well, well, don't have anything to say about I'm it. Excited. None of us have seen it. Mostly be, I'm excited mostly because uh, I've been uh, on a personal level, I've been seeking out a 1990 film so I can make a 1990 films ranked on Letterboxd. Oh. This will this will make the my fifth Infinity Stone for the year 1990. Well, there we have it, ladies and gentlemen of the audience. Next week we'll be back talking about Dance with the Wolves, a 1990 Kevin Costner film. And of course, I said it at the top. I'll say it at the bottom because you made it all the way. Thank you for watching. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. But also, now now you gotta do something for us, right? We gave you this yeah. content. Now you give us interaction. Give us give us a, a rating on your podcast service of choice. Download our episode. If you're on YouTube, like, subscribe, all of those things. There's Twitter links, there's letterbox links to these, you know, lists so you can peruse them at your own pace. There's someone mowing outside, so we gotta end this right <laughs> away or the audio is gonna be borked. Thank you for joining me, you boys, and we'll be back with Timo next week. Dancing with wolves. <laughs>